I solemnly swear that I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Yeah, hi everybody. Welcome to 2024. Ron here from The Truth About Addiction. Uh, just going to quickly talk about my experience, strength and hope, you know, and um, hope that somebody can get something out of this podcast. And um, it's been an honour to bring this podcast to you for the last year and a half. We're getting better as we do it. And um, yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to put some clarity up there, people, that to explain who I am, what I was, and you know what I am today. And uh, the reality is, I was a drug addict. Um, I'm allergic to alcohol and I'm allergic to chemicals. Once I put a chemical in my body, I can no longer guarantee my behaviour. Um, I had thinking problem long before I had a drinking problem. But when I drank, I blacked out, so I couldn't guarantee my behaviour. So that was the reality for me. I started drinking at a very early age. Um, not every day, you know. My, no one drank in my family. You know, my father and mother didn't drink, but. Um, when I drank, I blacked out, and uh, that continued up until I was 18, 19 years of age. Uh, from that, I started smoking pot, which I found to be quite relaxing, to be quite honest. Um, that relaxing that we crashed into a pole and uh, had a major accident, which put 140 stitches in my face and broke my jaw and my foot. And, and I came out of hospital and... Uh, on, I'd been on morphine for a couple of weeks in hospital and came out of hospital and found heroin and uh, yeah, that was a game changer for me. Once I'd found heroin, I didn't want to drink, I didn't want to smoke, I didn't want to do anything, I just wanted to get stoned because to me heroin stopped the feelings. Heroin filled the hole. I hear people talk about the hole, the, all that sort of stuff, you know, whether it was caused through trauma, which I had plenty of trauma, so I can't say whether it was caused through that or whether I was born with an affliction, I was born with a DNA, you know, some chemical imbalance. But I don't think it really matters what caused my addiction, but what it is matters that how I stopped it, how I took control of my own life, and how I took control of my thoughts and my feelings and my actions and reactions. So after my wonderful experience with drug addiction, I, um, I'd spent a lot of years in prisons. In fact, I had my first injection in prison in 1972. Um, in a boys' home in a drug called Ligactyl, which corrective services in their wisdom had decided to put me on. Um, so, yeah, so 1981, I'm sitting in prison. I'm an escapee from prison. I'd escaped from prison in 1988, I think it was, if I'm correct. And while I was on that escape, I was up King's Cross using heroin and robbing chemists and using all sorts of drugs, Ritalin and... Well, these massive types of drugs and, and going into psychosis, that was my first real experience with amphetamines. Um, not very good with amphetamines. And I went back to jail and a friend of mine wrote me a letter and said, you know, mate, if you put half as much effort into getting clean as you do getting stoned, you, you, can, get, you can get clean. And uh, cut a long story short, in 1981, I went to a drug and alcohol rehabilitation centre called We Help Ourselves, which was in Goulburn. There was a hundred and something residents there. And I was voted most likely not to get clean. That was in 1981. I, um, I stayed there for 10 months. And after 10 months, I'd left that rehab full of fear because I had court cases. I was bailed to that rehab. I reported every single day for 10 months to the police station. And I, but I stayed clean, you know, and it was for the first time I got the therapeutic value of one, one addict helping another. I got compassion and empathy. But I didn't really learn about drugs or addiction or anything like that. You know, I thought the drugs were the problem. You stopped taking the drugs, everything was better. It's not like that. Um, 
fast forward, there was a girl in that rehab. You know, we left and we ended up by, she fell pregnant and I was back in jail within a few months and I was, a, I, was a, I was actually thinking about committing suicide. I'd made a decision, a conscious decision that I was going to commit suicide and she came on a visit that Saturday and told me she was pregnant. I didn't commit suicide. And I went to prison for a small while, got back out of jail and the children were born. And uh, they're 40 year old now and um, 41 year old actually, just turned 41. So that was my um, experience with drinking alcohol again. I, um, you know, I mean, you know, I can't drink alcohol, I can't use drugs and uh, I, I got clean and I, I got after I came out of prison, I went back into rehab and I got a job working for Mission Beat, that's a um, Salvation Army where you drive around and pick up old drunks, homeless people who were drunk and that and, you know, destitute on the side of the road and they'd shit and piss their pants and blood all over them and I'd put them in the back of this little minivan and I'd drive them to Matthew Talbot or one of the other men's shelters and I'd shower and feed them and get them up and the next night or the night after I'd pick them up in exactly the same bridge or exactly the same you know alleyway and they'd have blood all over and they'd piss and shit themselves and it was such a heartbreaking job so but anyway we did that for a while and I ended up going back to work at we help ourselves and we run the detox unit for a little while there at Lidcombe which was uh, I start to find that I, I really enjoyed helping people for once in my life I really did enjoy helping people even though the money was crap and I was very financially uh, motivated so I ran another company which was a, a cleaning company and a jewellery company and uh, we sold the cleaning company and kept the jewellery company and I still am affiliated with that jewellery company today 40 something years later but what happened to me was I got introduced to 12-step programs and you know I, I still didn't quite understand that this program's a lot more than just you know not using drugs. I thought it was the drug was my problem. And in uh, 1985, I, I relapsed again. And I uh, it was horrific, horrific. You know, I'd been around the program, the 12-step programs for over five years. And I'd had a head full of information, an arm full of heroin and uh, methadone. And uh, yeah, it was disgusting. Using against my will every day was disgusting. I still, I remember it like it was yesterday, and it's 30, nearly 38 years ago. And it was, it, was, it was horrific. But I, what I did have, I had connection. I had people in NA, a spiritual advisor. Some people call him sponsors. I don't call him a sponsor. I don't wear a T-shirt with his name on me back. Um, he was my spiritual advisor. And I rang them and uh, one of my best mates, Frank, used to come up the cross every week and say, you had enough? And I'd say, not yet. And he'd say, see you in a week. And he'd come up the cross, you had enough? Not yet. So eventually I'd had enough. And I went and stayed with Frank and Wayne. They're two guys that were both in 12-step programs. And they both supported me and uh, actually fed me, showered me and looked after me while I come off 120 millimethadone. And that was on the 3rd of the 3rd, 1986. That was the last time I took a drug of any type. So my working experience has always been carrying the message of recovery to the addict who still suffers in and out of the rooms. Um, I don't hide the fact that I'm a recovering addict. I don't get out and call it from the streets, but I don't hide the fact. I'm quite proud of the fact that I'm a recovering addict, not a using addict. So fast forward, that was my uh, experiences with addiction. I, I, I was a failure as an addict. And I thought I was a failure at everything else. You know, I'd never finished anything in my life except for jail sentences. And uh, so by 1987, I was clean. I was working good companies, 
I had a jewelry company, we had a wholesale car company, and we were making good money, lots of money. I mean, you know, more money than I ever made as a drug dealer. So anyway, that goes on. We start to work that out. So that was my experience. My strengths were when I got clean, that I was teachable. I was so humiliated from my last relapse that I became teachable. And Mario, he stepped into my life and started guiding me through the 12-step programs. Um, I was always searching, searching for something. You know, when I was in prison in the early days, I'd read the Bible and looking for a God. And, you know, it just didn't sit right with me. And, you know, I'd get out of the prison van and I'd be saying things to the coppers like, you know, God will strike you down and he who hasn't sinned may cast the first stone and just completely insane. You know, I was, I, was, I, was, I was very lost and confused, you know. In 19, I don't know what it was, 1990-something, I, I went across to India. I went to an ashram and we did meditation over there with the sannyasins, still looking for a spiritual guidance, still looking for a, some sort of higher power. And um, it was a good experience, but it didn't really change me a great deal. It taught me to meditate and I came back and went back to work in a rehab for a little while. Then um, went back to doing what I always do, chasing the dollar, chasing the chasing girls and uh, traveling the world. I was still affiliated with crime. And, and because of the crime, the crime was stopping the spirituality. Because I think one of the spiritual steps to this program is honesty. And uh, I, I was a very dishonest person. I was dishonest to myself. I justified the fact that, you know, what I was doing, you know, wasn't harming anybody. Um, what I was doing, you know, society owed me because I'd spent so many years in prison. Instead of taking responsibility for the crimes that I'd committed and the things that I'd done, I wanted to be the victim. And uh, today I'm not a victim. It's really nice. It's so freeing not being a victim. So fast forward, it's now 1999. Um, I'm making lots of money. Life's pretty good. I am um, a successful jewelry company. I have a, a you know a new wife and have a child, and um, I I just lost the plot. I stopped going to meetings and I stopped talking to my sponsor and my spiritual advisor, and I started becoming materialised. You know because you know I had a fair amount of clean time up, um, probably 15 years nearly at that stage. And I got back involved in the crime. And in 2002, I got arrested and I went back to prison. And it was horrible. It was horrible going back to prison as a recovering addict. And I'll tell you what it did for me. It showed me the harm that I'd, that I'd caused, me, that I'd caused by being involved with organised crime and drug smuggling and drug dealing. You know, I was on the corner selling dope to someone on the corner. You know, I mean, we were, we were at the top of the tree and... Um, but it doesn't matter. Just because you don't see the killing and you push the button and someone gets killed, you still push the button. So that happens happened to me. And um, I become humbled and, again, humiliated by my actions and my lack of principles. So in 2002, after being arrested and having my liberty taken from me, and I sat in a cell and cried for the first time in a long time, and I cried because of the damage that I'd done to other people. Prison didn't scare me. Prison's never scared me. It's not a, it's no tigers and crocodiles in prison, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, when I'm untreated, I can be as scary as anybody else because when I'm untreated, I don't care. And the most dangerous person in the world is the person who doesn't care. And I was part of that 
that guy, you know, I was that guy that just didn't care and, um, you know, I would not care about consequences and that was evident in my still doing crime at 15 years clean. But, um, you know, today I don't do crime and today, you know, I don't do all that rubbish and talk rubbish and say one thing and do another thing, you know what I mean? So, you know, so I read the Bible, I went to, I went into Buddhism and I read the Quran. I did the meditations and I've done the 12 steps. And after all these years, the God that I was looking for, this higher power, this spiritual awakening that I looked for, was inside of me. And I, th I think basically, to be honest, it came through the 12 steps, not as they're written, but as I understood them. And my understanding of the 12 steps. The first step tells me that I'm, I'm powerless over my addiction and my life's unmanageable. To me, that means that my thinking's not real good and when I put a drug in my system, I'm like, I can no longer guarantee my behaviour. The second step tells us that we um, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, I knew that I was insane. There was never a question about that. And the power greater than myself is my spiritual advisor and love, understanding and forgiveness. That's my idea of spirituality, love, understanding and forgiveness. You know, and the second step tells me that if I think I can use drugs and have a good life, I'm insane. And if I'm insane, the third step tells me that I've got to hand my will and my life over to a power greater than myself, which is my spiritual advisor, my friends, and the 12-step programs. And uh, on those three steps alone, I can stay clean. But there's a lot more to staying clean than just staying clean. I have to recover. There's a difference between being dry and being in recovery. And I was dry for 16 years. Today I'm in recovery. The last 20 years I've been in recovery. I work a, a, a program, a diligent program. I have a thing called the eight demands. That's them there. They're my eight demands. It's openness, acceptance, reliability, consistency, thoroughness, congruence, respect and honesty. They are the things that were lacking in my life. They are the things that were, didn't even know how to spell them, nevertheless know what they meant. And today I have those things. Today I am honest. Today I am accepting. Today I'm reliable and I'm consistent. I'm congruent, I'm thorough, I'm respectful and I'm honest. And I say that because I've practiced these things for many, many years now. I've been practicing these principles. Even when I was mad, I practiced these principles in my crime. But I practiced these, these principles in all my affairs. My companies, my businesses, my relationship with people, places and things, I work through these demands. I accept that I'm powerless over people, places and things. How nice. I'm not in control. The only thing I'm in control of is my own thoughts. Today I'm not a victim to my thoughts. Today my thoughts don't govern me. My feelings are irrelevant. You know, oh, I feel like this. Big deal. Get up and get on with it, you know. Face up, you know. Face up and, and heal. This is, a, this is a program of abstinence, but it's a program of health. And it's mental health, you know. I know I suffer with a thinking problem. And I say it all the time to people, you know. If you think you haven't got a drinking problem, then that's your problem there, your thinking. You know, we don't end up in jails and institutions or in 12-step programs because we're good people having a bad trot. We end up in these places because we have a problem, you know, and the problem is our thinking. The chemical that we use, the poison that we choose, is a symptom of our disease. I call it a disease because I was that disease with myself. So I don't know. Today, I'm a very grateful member of a community that is trying to help people. You know, we've got guys like Jeffrey Morgan, we've got, you know, heaps of guys. You know, like I've been so blessed since we started doing these podcasts and doing um, social media to be able to expand our, our 
our, our message. And our message is that you can recover from addictions one day at a time, that there is a way out, that suffering doesn't have to be. We have pain, but, you know, you don't have to suffer. Today I have bad moments. I don't have bad days. Today I have a program that gets me out of my own self. I care for other people and I share what I have quite freely. So, you know, if anyone's listening to this podcast and struggling with alcohol or drugs or anything, it doesn't matter, it can gambling, sex, food, you know, all that, you know, we're using something to try to change what we feel. Dr. Marta Gabor talks about trauma and how he believes addiction is using a substance or a thing to change us, to give us instant gratification, no matter what the outcome. And to me, I agree with that in a lot of ways. A lot of the stuff he says, I really I agree with. But, you know, for me, I just want to say that I'm a very grateful recovering alcoholic addict who hasn't put a chemical in his body for nearly 38 years. And I don't say that to boast. I say that in astoundment to myself. 38 years without drinking and drugging. I couldn't go 38 days of my own choice, you know. So from us at The Truth About Addiction, we are so grateful to be part of your community and we welcome you to ours. And guys, these are the eight demands. You can download these from my webpage, truthaboutaddiction.com.au. Also, this year, I'm making a program that will be online and you guys can come on and join in with us. Maybe find some freedom from addiction like I have. This is an incredible program and we just want to share it with you guys. So be safe. I solemnly swear that I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God.